0: Amen. Thank you, Jerome. On the front end of the sermon this morning, I want to make an announcement. I understand that we only have four trunks and four treats for our trunk or treats Uh, a week from today, October 30th, from 5 to 7 is our trunk or treat. Now, I know we're going to have more than four cars in our trunk or treats, but that's all who have signed up so far. So, now's the time. Now's the time to sign up. Uh, You can sign up at the Welcome Center in the back, or you can sign up online in the bulletin. You'll find uh, directions how you can sign up online as well. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 25. We're going to be in 1 Peter for our primary text today, uh, so you can turn there if you'd like to follow along. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For, if you know, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply, from the heart In the 1950s and 60s, an American psychologist named Dr. Murray Bowen became distinguished in his field of family system. He even had a few theories named after him. One of his theories was the societal regression theory. The societal regression theory helps to explain how widespread uncertainty and anxiety manifests itself in the behavior of the culture. So when uncertainty, ambiguity, and anxiety are very high in a culture, divorce rates skyrocket. People sue over just trivia. Drug abuse increases. Race relations disintegrate. Ethical failures of leaders increases. The occurrences of crime, violence, and terrorism escalate exponentially people become less concerned with showing personal responsibility and more demanding of personal rights does any of this sound familiar to you kind of sounds like our culture right well in addition to all of this that's going on um, we have to deal with a lot of changes in our culture um, one of the key characteristics that define postmodernism is change. Things are always changing. And so uh, people who are not used to a lot of change are now dealing with change, right and left. And change produces anxiety. Throw on top of that that this year is an election year, which also produces anxiety, right? Check out this video for just a second. If you
1: feel like the presidential election is driving you nuts, you're right. Day in and day
0: out, constantly. It'll drive you crazy if you pay attention to all of that.
1: I'm uh, concerned Hillary will win. <laughs> very stressed. We, we have a Trump running in 2016 in America that's very stressful and worrisome. Really, the American Psychological Association says fully half of us say the election has been a very or somewhat significant source of stress. A Pew poll says more than half of Americans are disgusted with the campaign. Disgusted. If you use things like social media, Facebook, say, as a distraction, you go to your Facebook feed, people are posting about the election. So you're never, ever getting away from it. No wonder a hotel in Boston is offering an election escape package. They'll block the news channels from your room and snip the election coverage from your newspaper. Whether you're for Trump or Hillary, either way, uh, you should feel refreshed and have had a break from the from the election. In Des Moines, it's clear the election has gone to the dogs. Online, people are pleading for it just to be over.
0: Used to Halloween was my worst fear of, of the scariest day of the year. Now the election is...
1: For those who are truly stressed, the good news is the election is just 22 days away. The bad news? Even when it's over, it won't be over.
0: You notice some Twitter comments popped up and the words were too small for you to read them. This is what they said. I'm actually having anxiety attacks about this election. This whole election is bad for my anxiety. Thinking about this election gives me more anxiety than I can handle. There should be a new word in the dictionary for election-related anxiety. Who's up for a group hug and a long cry after this election is finally over? Hashtag election stress. Well, church, we live in an anxious society. There's no getting around it. Even in non-election years, anxiety in this country runs high. And no one, not even Christians, are immune to the destructive behaviors that living in an anxious culture cultivates. However, living in an anxious culture is no excuse uh, for some of those destructive behaviors in the church. Things like gossip and slander and fighting. It's no excuse for suing over trivia, um, for drug abuse, for the, the divorce rates that we've seen within the church. Unfortunately, these types of childish behaviors can infect Christians from the outside world. We have to be careful or we'll be just as sick, just as infected as the people living in such an anxious culture. By the way, the Twitter comments, that's one way we can see how we're so anxious is because people just react. And you'll see in social media, People just reacting and sharing their opinion and tearing people down um, instead of thinking things through, sign of that we live in an anxious society. What we need is something to separate us from all of this anxious behavior. Now we can't escape the world; that's impossible. We're told to be alive in the world. But we can sort of insulate ourselves from the destructive behaviors that we find in the world. I'm titled this sermon, Culture Shock, and we're going to use 1 Peter as our primary text because Peter dealt with Christians who were living in an anxious culture, just like we are. And Peter had some practical advice for those Christians We can listen in on this advice and apply it to our life today. So follow along with me in 1 Peter, and you'll notice you'll see some underlined words. Um, What I would like to see happen is when we get to one of the underlined words, I would like the congregation to speak that word. So beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the to be giving you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as here and reverent fear. These few verses are packed with insulators that can protect us from the destructive behaviors we find in the outside world. Our insulation first and foremost comes from the last word that you spoke to me. We are to be strangers in this world. We, interla- we insulate ourselves by being strangers. And Peter says, to be strangers means that we set our hope fully on the grace of God. Peter says, to be strangers means that we become obedient children. Peter says, to be strangers means that we strive to be holy. These things we do, they make us strange. Grace Obedience, holiness, these are the words that you spoke. That's what makes us strange and makes us stranger. Now, normally, it's not very attractive to be strange or to be a stranger in some ways. But doesn't it sound nice a lot of times to be strangers in today's world? I, for one, think that being strange, being a stranger, sounds quite all right with me in this world. Now, notice Peter. One of the things he says, one of the insulators he gives, is as obedient children. Now, you might be asking John, "What does it look like to be obedient children?" Some of you with children might be saying, "What does obedient children look like?" Well, glad you asked, because Peter goes on, goes into further detail on this obedient children thing um, in First Peter. Chapter 1 verse 22, Peter says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere for your brothers, love one another deeply, from the heart. Peter is saying that when we have sincere love for one another, we are obeying the truth and being faithful to God, I want to make sure that we get this because he encourages us again he says love one another deeply from the heart you see the extent to which we love each other is the extent to which we are obeying the truth and being faithful to God the extent to which we love each other is the extent to which we know we're doing what God wants us to do. So if one, someone were to come in here and they were to say, boy, you guys sure love each other, that would be one of the greatest compliments that we could receive. Because it would be saying, you guys are being obedient children of God. It's hard sometimes. We find it hard to know what God wants from our individual lives. Sometimes we often wonder, what is God's will for me? Well, we know for sure that it is God's will for us to love one another deeply from the heart. And so if somebody says to us, comes in and says, you know, those people at Heartland Church of Christ, they're not perfect, but they sure are patient with each other, they sure are kind to one another. They don't envy. They don't boast. They're not proud. They're not rude or self-seeking or easily angered. And they forgive and they forgive and they forgive. In fact, they nev- never never uh, fail one another when somebody is in need. They never fail. If that sounds familiar, that's from... Uh, First Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter. If someone were to come in here and say that about us, that would be the greatest compliment that they could give. Because it would mean that we're doing exactly what God wants us to be doing. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And keep in mind here, Peter's just um, showed these Christians how important it is to love each other. Because it means that they're obeying the truth. So he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here, Peter gives us another insulator to go along with setting your hope fully on the grace of God, to go along with holiness and obedience and being strangers to the world. He says to crave pure spiritual milk. Crave God's word. Just like newborn babies instinctively turn to their mother's milk for their only source, their true source of life. So we are to turn to God's word as our true source of life. We must crave God's grace, crave loving obedience, crave holiness. The human heart is designed to crave. The human heart craves. That's what it does. But it doesn't always crave God, does it? In fact, Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7, he said, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. The human heart craves sin. Peter says to crave pure spiritual milk. Houston, we have a problem. If you crave sin and you don't crave God, you need heart surgery. You need heart surgery. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will give you a new heart. God speaking here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, I wonder if... I wonder if sometimes we pray the wrong things. Um, you know, I don't know if you you guys know that Tony severely injured his foot recently. So we pray, be with Tony's foot. And we pray, be with those who are traveling. So that they may arrive at their destination safely. And we pray, God, keep that boy away from my daughter. And we pray... God, keep my son away from drugs. Okay? When is the last time that you prayed, God, I pray that my son would pray here, spiritual. When is the last time that you prayed, God, please take this heart of stone of mine. Take it out and replace it with a heart of flesh so that I may Pray your spiritual meal. Now, I think Tony would probably appreciate your prayers for his foot. And we should pray for our sick and the traveling. But the real problem isn't in our feet. The real problem isn't in our backs, in our sore knees. The real problem lies in our hearts. I think sometimes we forget... But that's where the real problem lies. <laughs> that being said, I think that we should pray. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. You have done marvelous things for your people. You've done marvelous things for these people here today in this room. Father, you are powerful. You are majestic. You are mighty. Yet you are willing to make yourself small and weak just like we are. And you are willing to make yourself shamed, spat upon, suffer, and die in a terrible way. And you did it because you care about this, so even though you're so big and mighty, wise, and brilliant. You care about your creation, who is weak and struggling. Father, we give you praise for that. Father, this morning, I confess that I have been infected by the destructive behaviors that we find in this world the gossip and the slander and the fighting, sin. Father, I confess that I have stone in my heart and that I crave sin. And I don't crave you like I should. Father, I pray that you would chip away at that stone and that you would create in me a new heart so that I may love that that I might love my brothers and sisters better, that I may obey your will for me better. Father, forgive me. For, help me to forgive those who have also practiced the destructive behavior around them. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, for it being a cleansing agent that washes over Wave after wave after wave. It's never-ending. Father, we thank you for that blood that cleanses us, that purifies us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I realize that this, this sermon alone it's not going to relieve you of all anxiety and stress that you have in our lives. To be human is just to kind of have to live with some anxiety and some stress, some fear and worry. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Jesus said, do not worry. And that's a challenge for us today. And it's difficult for us not to become infected by those destructive behaviors that we see every day. When we turn on the TV, when we um, look at the Internet, we see all kinds of destructive behaviors. But there is more to being a stranger in this world than just being stress-free and anxiety-free. There's more to it than that. There's a bigger purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and In the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Do you see the bigger picture here of why it's important for there to be people in this world who set their hope fully on the grace of God? Why it's important for there to be people here who are obedient children. Why it's important that there be people here who crave pure spiritual milk and who strive to be holy. It's because without these strangers, then people will have no hope to find God. Without these strangers, people who are spiritually sick will have no hope. Of finding a cure. I'm going to supplement our First Peter scripture with 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. It says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority. And let's pause there for a second. How many times have you given thanks for those in authority? For our president for our governor. That's hard to do, right? How often do we give thanksgiving for our leaders? We usually don't talk very well about them. I think there's a lesson in humility and trusting God that we can actually give thanks for our leaders. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and this is good. And pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. If we live in a culture that is dominated by anxiety, and we don't look any different than the people around us. People are just going to see us as part of the sickness. Part of the infected. But God's desire for His church is that we are part of the cure. Not part of the sick. So when we lead peaceful, quiet lives, setting our hope fully on God, striving to be holy craving pure spiritual milk we create an environment that is not defined by anxiety we create an environment that is defined by the pure Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was all the things he set his hope fully on the grace of God he was the obedient child he strove to be holy he craves pure spiritual milk. So there is more to being a stranger here on this earth than being completely anxiety and stress-free. It's about creating a place where people can meet Jesus. First, in First Peter, Peter also says that we are a holy temple. We're also a place, a place to meet Jesus. So what do you think? Do you think that the culture at large when it looks at the church even when it looks at Heartland Church of Christ does it see just another infected bunch? Or does it see a place that is indicative of the cure? Indicative of Jesus Christ? Maybe as you're sitting there you realize That you've let yourself become affected. That you practice these same destructive behaviors that you see on TV, that you see in the outside world. If so, just remember culture shock. S is where it all starts. Strangers in the world. H for holiness. O, obedient children. C, crave pure spiritual milk. And K, well, K is for K-A-R-I-S. KERIS is the Greek word for grace. Set your hope fully on God's grace. I had to cheat a little bit to make the acronym work. I still think it's quite clever, if I do say so myself. So, if you realize that you're participating in the same behavior that you see around us. Remember, culture shock. Strangers, holiness, obedience, crave for spiritual milk and grace. And you've got a golden opportunity today for the elders to pray over you. If, you're, you, know, if you want to crave God's Word and you're, you don't crave God's Word, you crave sin you realize that you're infected, just come forward to the front row. We're going to sing an invitation song in a second. And the elders will bathe you in prayer. That your heart will be replaced with a heart of flesh. That you will begin to crave your spiritual milk. If you want to know about becoming a Christian, more about becoming a Christian, you can also come forward and we'll talk to you about that. So let's stand and sing our invitation song you in know